Um, I want to get, I'm looking forward to get into um, the, the message today and, and um, something that's been stirring in my heart a little while. Um, and, I, and I struggled, as Corin said, I struggled with get, trying to fi- figure out the title of this, this, uh, this message, and, and it, may, it may bleed over to next week, but, uh, but I'm calling it True Vision. And um, I, I, I'm not talking about vision in the sense of a personal vision, as in uh, people perish without a vision and having a, a personal vision for your own life and a personal vision within the grander vision and within the grander context. You know that there is a grander context that we are of, of the kingdom life that we are called to be participants in. And, and Jesus said that, you know, he gave us his vision. And I think one of the greatest things in, in that scheme of things is understanding that when we feel part of Jesus, when we receive Jesus, just like Randy talked about over here, we receive Jesus and we step into the kingdom, we get, we get, to, we get a kingdom vision. In fact, uh, listen to this in John 3, verse 3. Jesus answered him. He said, this is Nicodemus, if you remember the story. Don't you love that part? Have any of you watched The Chosen? This is one of my favorite scenes in The Chosen. Jesus answered Nicodemus. He basically says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You know, being born again gives you the ability to perceive the kingdom of God. Yeah, you get to step in to, and to become a part. Once you're born again, you, but it says without being born again, you cannot even perceive that there is a kingdom. And of course, we taught later in, in Scripture that, that, that we are, we, when you're born again and somebody chooses Jesus as their Lord and Savior, they are delivered from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of His dear Son. And man, what a deliverance that is. And, and so we teach a lot about kingdom and, and, and getting in people because Jesus said it's in the kingdom we can experience all the benefits of the kingdom. There are practical benefits and purpose and all these wonderful things happen inside the kingdom. But it starts with being born again because you can't even perceive there is a kingdom. It, later in that same chapter, John 3, 36, um, This is what he says, whoever believes, Jesus says, sorry, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, or life without end. If you look at the Greek, it's it's life, as Zoe Ionis, life that doesn't end. There is no end to it. That's the the word eternal. Um, I often pull out Greek, and let me just say this. I'm going to use a lot of Greek today, not because I speak a lot of Greek. I know a little Greek. I know a big Greek too. I know a big Greek too. You'll you'll meet my, my Greek friend one day. He's he's a South African that I he's so full of he's so full of Jesus. You'll love him and his family. And one day I'm, I think he's going to come and visit us next year. But he's taught me a lot. But there is Greek is so much powerful. English is limited. I think God had a plan when he had the scripture written in Aramaic and Greek, because you you will see that that there's just limitations. Um, there's just limitations with the lang- with English. It's just, now listen, King James didn't write the Bible, just so that you know. It's just one of many translations and interpretations, and that's why I'm, I'm for a lot of translations. And, but I all, you know, and you, listen, you don't have to be a Greek scholar now. Thank God for Blue Letter Bible. Amen. If you haven't discovered Blue Letter Bible, you need to download that free app on your Android device or, your, or, your, or the other one, whatever it's called. Oh, iPhone. That's right. <laughs> whatever. Yeah, you've got to download Blue Letter Bible because Blue Letter Bible gives you access to translations and, and, and you can pull up an interlinear and you can, you can go and look at the words and, and it's just so rich. But, but you know, when we, we, when, 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 we, when we have this opportunity to study the Word of God and see, um, you know, a lot of things started make, making sense, things that confused you before or certainly confused me. I, I, I heard certain things, and I'm like, what? what, what, what? That doesn't make sense. And then when you get to, um, to read the, the, uh, the, the, the Greek, it's like, or see the word, it's like, oh, okay, I, I, start, I start seeing this, okay? So I start understanding some of the things. But, but what's interesting is as I was studying, I'd, and I stumble across these things every now and again, but I found out that Greek, you know, when we use the word, and even in a lot of translations, our, our, our English language is, is limited because when we see the word vision, or look, or see, or behold, or, and sometimes the word see, 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 is translated is a totally different Greek word. It's a totally different Greek word. 
One kind of seeing, and we're going to touch on a few of them, and you'll see, because there's the kind of seeing with your eyes. Then there is a kind of seeing in Greek is that what are you intently gazing at? It's not just seeing. It's like thinking, well, what are you perceiving? Another word. What are you contemplating? Another word. Some of these words have just been translated seeing. You know, in fact... In, um, in Matthew 3.16, I'm going to read this, this, and I'm going to use very closely in Matthew. Matthew 3.16, 4.16, and 4.18, you hear the word see. And Jesus, I'm going to read these, these, I'm going to rattle through these scriptures quickly. Jesus, when he was baptized, went straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. Now, just so that you know, the word saw, seeing, is not the word ophthalmos. It's not the word that I actually see. It's the word also often translated no. Weedle. It's like, oh, you know, I, ah. Now there's another couple of words in Greek for no, so stay with me. But, but I'm just trying to show you here when, he, when it's like, ah, oh, I, I perceive, I, I know, I know. So that word there, but it's the same in 4.16. When the, with, um, the people which saw, sat in darkness saw... A great light, and to them which sat in the region, the shadow of the shadow of death, light has sprung up. Four eighteen. Jesus walked by the Sea of Galilee and saw two brethren. It's not the word. Oh, I just casually saw this. There's a whole bunch of people there. No, 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 no. He saw two brethren. He knew those two brothers. See how it changes? Because you think, oh, he was just walking around, and there were two guys over there. No, 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 no. He saw two people. He saw. It's the same with the, with the scriptures I just read. Jesus said, if you, unless you've been born again, you won't even see the kingdom. It's not got to do with these eyes. It's got to do with knowing. Amen. It's got to know. It's, there's a, this contemplate, and we'll, we'll go into it. In fact, this word is power, it's, too, it, it's got like a list of this long, but it's really to know of anything, to, to understand, to perceive to, uh, yes, it, it, it's to observe um, as well. But that's the word, we, uh, it's, weedo is how I pronounce it, and it's probably incorrect how I personally um, pronounce it. But then there's this word, horao, and it's to see with the mind, to perceive or to know, to become acquainted with by experience, um, to heed or to beware. Then there's another one. You've, you've, you've ever been, anyone been to an optometrist, Right? You know the word optometrist. Here's, there's a Greek word. It's called optonomai. It's a different word. And it's to, to look at or to behold, to, to appear. Then there's the word blepo. Totally different word. Blepo. It's to see or discern. It's to see with the mind's eye. Blepo. To see with the mind's eye, to have the power of understanding. You know what we do? You've often done this too. When somebody's explaining something to it and you go, oh, I see. I see what you're saying. You, you didn't physically see what they were saying. You used the word blepo. Greek has its own word for that, blepo. To see, you, it's to turn your thoughts or direct your mind to consider, to contemplate, to weigh carefully and examine. You see how it changes, right? Because if you, were, you and I were just Greek speakers, we wouldn't even use the word see. We would use the word blepo, or we'd use the optonomai, or we'd use the word arau, or we'd use the word widow, and they would all be different words. But in English, we just say, see. There's actually more. There's two more. There's more than that. Thoreo. Thoreo. To be a spectator. Uh, to discern. To ascertain, to ascertain or find out by seeing. Now these things sound strange. And I'm not going to go into a big, because I don't even understand the, the finesse of this and how it's used in Scripture. But each, each one is different. And then this word, how many of you know that if you're a rifle or you, you put a, a telescopic sight on it, right? Scope. Scopio is a Greek word. It's to look at, to mark, to, to take heed of yourself. 
And, and I could spend a long time going through different scriptures. And, and you know what's nice about the Blue Letter Bible is that when you look up one of these Greek words and you find the word, one of these that I've just read, below it, it will show you at the bottom where that word is found in the New Testament. And that's really useful because you can go and see how it's been used in context in other scriptures. So it gives you, okay. And that sets you off on a whole bunch of fun study. At least I think it's fun. Because it's, it's like, man, look at that. That word Scopio is used here, 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 here. Or this word Guido is used here, 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 here. Isn't it interesting? At least I think it's fascinating. <laughs> so, so understand, I wanted to give you a little bit of a foundation of this. Not because we're all trying to become Greek scholars, but we want to understand. Remember, God, this is the eternal word of God that we're dealing with. I, I, you know, I, I, Andrew Womack has said it so clearly, and, and I mean, I, I kind of think it's tongue-in-cheek, and it's a little bit funny, and, it, and it's a little bit poignant, but he says that most Christians don't let the Bible get in the way of what they believe. Amen. And it's sadly true. We don't let the Word, we don't, we don't really prize the Word of God and realize that, hold on a second, the Word of God is the Word of God. It is the Logos. It is the facet, it's unpacking the word. It's not just somebody's opinion. It's not some guy. It's written, you know, it's written over 1,500 years, 66 books, 40 different authors from all kinds of walks of life over this period of time. It is the very eternal word of God revealed to us. Now, that's just the written word. But who, you know that just because, you know, this Jesus said, I am the word, right? In the beginning was the word. The word was with God and he was God. Listen, Jesus didn't appear over 1,500 years. That's right. He's always been. The written word is just a, a combination of what physical authors, as the Spirit of God moved on physical authors and in circumstances to describe this being that is beyond our three-and-a-half-pound brain knowledge. And so they are always going to think, because we're dealing with the eternal God and we're dealing with an eternal word. Listen, I've got to touch on this. Ages, we live in an age. The Bible calls this age is an age that we live in. But guess what? This age is going to come to an end. It is. And we're told how this age is going to end. Ultimately, we go, and, and we're not going to go that way because we can have fun breaking out what's going to happen in Revelation and there's opinions about certain things. And, but there, it's very clear this age is going to come to an end. There, there is going to be a millennium. There is going to, this, that millennium of a thousand years is going to be set up right here on this planet in Jerusalem. It'll be okay, people. It'll be fun. You know, and guess what? You know, we wouldn't have burnt the whole planet to the ground. Don't worry. Nuclear devastation wouldn't have destroyed everything. Don't, don't stress. It's going to be okay. You know how I know? The Bible. Exactly. But you see, the Word of God, when we know that we can take it to the bank, but you see, we hold on to our perceptions. We hold on to our opinions. We hold on, worst of all, to our traditions. We get taught certain things, and religion has taught us things, so we rush off to, but I, don't, I never believed that. And as you've heard me say before, the whole point of being a, a repentant, having a repentant heart, means that I'm willing to change what I believe to align myself to what God says is truth. Now remember, that is constantly, I'm the one that's constantly changing. I'm the one who's constantly learning and adjusting. And the longer I live and the longer I walk with God and the longer I walk with the shepherd of our souls, I find that, oh, he's right. Oh, that's how it works. Oh, I didn't understand that. So you have to be okay with not understanding stuff in this world. It is by faith we understand. And if you will, your understanding will grow. But please, oh please, oh please, don't rely on your traditions or your opinions because you're wrong. And it's good that you understand that you are wrong because guess what? You are not God. Every one of us who thinks we're right makes us ourselves God. I actually want to say that again. Think about that. You can write that one down. If you think you're right and you know everything, you have made yourself God. We're learners of who He is, 
and, and we walk with Him. And we know that, and we teach here extravagantly that, that God is love and He is who He is and, and, we, and we, we embrace Him and we learn of Him, but we are constantly forming up to understand this beautiful being. And again, I'm going to say it, His Word is eternal. We live in an age that is going to come to an end. The Bible tells us, His Word tells us, that there are ages, plural, to come. Yes. Not just one age to come. It doesn't say in the next. There is going to be a next age, but there is plural. There are ages to come. I love talking about eternity as the last time I spoke about it because I think it's so powerful to understand eternity because this existence is fleeting. Like smoke from a cooking pot, pot, it says in the Amplified Border. The vapor that disappears, that literally says in the Amplified Version. Like the vapor that comes from a cooking pot and goes away. That's how quickly your life and my life is on this planet. Other, translate, I mean, other places in the Bible talk about it like the grass that fades. That quickly. We, 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 what the problem is, we value things incorrectly because if we place our value as everything of, of existence of all the ages has got to do with the American dream or how much money I save, you are thinking way too short. This is a, we're in this for the long haul. And like I said, a trillion, trillion light years from now, we're going to be at 0 0.000000.1 percent of completion it's we can't even think because we just don't we've got no grasp of what it like is like to to have eternity but but understanding there are ages ages to come amen so in any case so let me carry on over here because in second corinthians 4 paul teaching or writing to the corinthians he says this in verse 7 but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are, listen to these, afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. I want to stop there. Just go, go back that uh, one voice. We are, this is not talking about having it easy. I don't know if you picked that up. Paul lived his life and he had persecution. And we as believers, we will, we have, I mean, what Jesus said in this world, you will have trouble, sure. And he says, those of you who want to live righteously or godly, you will be persecuted. There is an element that we have got to be prepared for and be okay. If we're going to make Jesus priority and we're not just going to play, play Christianity, you know, churchianity as often said. We, we're, we're not about being play, play, you know, when we, when we kids used to play church, or I mean, not play church, listen to me, we didn't play church when I was a kid. <laughs> we played cops and robbers, and we played whatever, you know, you know, we played all these other games. We played house, house, and doctor, doctor, right? But we don't want to play church. Amen? Amen? But it says, like, listen, guys, if, we, if this is more than that, you can be able and well-equipped, because, you know, some... So much of what, when we are struck down, when we are persecuted, when we are afflicted, we think that, why am I doing this? What did I do wrong? God is busy judging. All of those, those horrible traditions sneak in, and you think, I did something wrong, and God is going to get me for it. It's like, people, listen, you live in this earth, you're going to have stuff. Don't worry, stuff happens. It's okay. So it, then he says this, and, and we, we, I'm going to get into this a future series, because it's, he says in verse 10, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be manifest in our body. I'm telling you, when, when we learn that we can identify with the death of Jesus, it will set us free to really live life. And that's a whole, whole other thing that we can look at. But what I want to, um, what I want to get down to this in verse 16, it says, um, so we do not lose heart. Though our, in, our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. I'm going to stop there. Though our outer self is wasting away, you've got to allow the progress of age and stuff without thinking it's evil or wrong. Okay? 
you're only here. Your body is going to, in all likelihood, give up. I, I, we've had friends that have believed that, 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 that God is, that death is, they're not going to die. And I'm like, eh. Yeah, well, sorry about that. But you're all going to die. And some of you are going to die way earlier than you should. Especially if you don't understand communion, as we said, because that's the one reason in the New Testament that says that some people die early. Because they don't understand or don't know how to identify with the life and the blood of Jesus. But that's a whole, another topic, right? But, but you are, there is going to be, our outer person is wasting away. Now, that doesn't mean that you have to die sick. Nobody has to die sick. You do not have to die sick. But thank God, listen, no matter whether you die healthy or you die sick, no sweat, don't stress, no, there's no uh, guilt, there's no shame if you do. Okay? I want you to be very clear. But, but in any case, it says we don't lose heart. Our outer self is wasting away. But it says our inner self is renewed day by day or can be renewed day by day. Then in verse 17, for this, light, for this slight momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. There it is again. The comparison to see eternity. When you put things in eternal perspective, then guess what? No matter all those things that I just read about before, those things that, he, that Paul was going through, he says, this light and momentary affliction. And listen, guys, if you go, there's other parts where he says he's been stoned three times. He, I mean, he's been stoned a couple times. He's, he's been left for dead once. He's been shipwrecked a number of times. He's been this, etc., etc. He had it. He had it rough. Okay, and so he says, but this is light affliction, preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Isn't that good to know? So now you can all feel jealous for Randy, who's having fun of glory beyond all comparison. But then it says, why? Why? What gives us the secret? How can we have an eternal glory? He says then, he says, because we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen for the things that are seen are transient but the things that are unseen are eternal big secret there if you want to be renewed day by day when the outward person is is wasting away the inward one is being renewed day by day because for we're looking not to the things that are seen but to the things that are unseen that's a choice You see, if you're looking to the things seen, well, then you're going to be stuck. You're not going to be able to be renewed inwardly day by day because you're looking at the flesh. You're limiting yourself to this body, this realm. You're limiting yourself to five senses. That's it. We have got to learn to live and see the things that are unseen. Isn't that interesting? For the things that are seen are temporary. Well, we've said that again. These things are passing away. They're transient. But the unseen things are without end. Now, it would seem to me, (laughs) seem to me, that we should look at the eternal things. We should find out what the eternal things are, right? And, of course, we have this beautiful Word of God, this Logos, this eternal Logos that that paints the picture to the things that are eternal. And that is kingdom living. Kingdom living is learning to lay hold of these things, to change our identity, to change our belief system in our hearts so that we can experience and enjoy emotions and feelings that are consistent with truth and not with transient, fleeting things. Amen? Amen. I mean, what was that old song that we used to think? Uh, you know, when I, as I turn your eyes upon Jesus, mm-hmm. look full in his, one, in his glorious face, a wonderful face, I can't even remember. And the things of the earth will grow strangely dim, right? In the light of his glory and grace. Now that sounds, you know, I remember singing that and it's just like, okay, well, I mean, I'm not going to, you know, you can take it. I was very literal. I'm a I'm not going to just look at Jesus' face all the time and like, okay, so what's up with this? You know, you know, just no, but I mean, I'm talking about the whole of the kingdom realm. The kingdom realm, Jesus said, he said, the kingdom is experienced internally, remember? He said, don't go out there and look over there. The kingdom is not by observation, Jesus said. 
His kingdom is not something that you can see. He said, because the kingdom is within, enters within you. It's in here. It's experienced when you put, you put your belief system. So the, I'm going to go back to that word there, the word look. He says, well, we look not at the things. Those, those are the things that we've got to decide what are we seeing, seeing with. In fact, um, uh, I'm going to drop down. Where, where's my, I'm going to go to Ephesians 1. I, I had this slate lightly, but Ephesians 1 says this so powerfully. Ephesians 1 verse 16. I do not cease to give thanks to you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a, a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. I want to stop there. I mean, the Ephesians prayers, if anybody is a student of the Bible, Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 3, there are so many awesome prayers. But he says, Paul says, I, I, he says, I do not give, stop giving thanks for you, remembering in your prayers that the God of our, of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of God, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. This passage is so rich, we can carry on for, for ages, but what is the revelation? It's in the knowledge of God and understanding Him. We've, we've studied that in other series in 2 Peter 1. It's, that's how we can embrace our inheritance through our knowledge of Him. It's knowing Him, knowing Him. Now, then you think, oh, well, I, I know God. Well, I mean, because we've got a label for Him. Listen, just because you know the bottle has got a label on it doesn't mean you know Him. You, it's, that is, got to, know, got to know his character. You are persuaded. You understand every part of his person. And that's not going to be a fleeting experience. That is going to be an eternal experience, getting to know him, to walk with him. But that is it. That he says, that, he says that, that, you, that you may get a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And then having, listen to this, the eyes of your heart enlightened. Man. I'm going to finish it and come back to that. Having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he called you. There you go, Norman. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might? To know, to know is one of those words, as I said, there's widow knowledge, but there's gnosko knowledge. And you've heard the term gnosko. Gnosko knowledge is an experiential knowledge. He says that you may know. He said that know the hope, this great confident expectation of good things. That is that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. But he says this, the eyes, I love this word, the eyes of your heart. Now we've, we will always talk about the heart here. Because the heart, if, you, if we as believers don't understand the heart you are going to be very frustrated. You're not going to understand. The heart is not the spirit. Spirit, soul, and body, but your heart is where it all comes together. Your heart is where you believe. It's where you carry your identity. It's how you see things. It's what you believe about. It's where you carry your motives, your intentions, all of those things. Your pro all of those, I, I, those priorities are carried in your belief system. Your heart can be corrupted. Your heart is with what you believe. It's with your heart that you can doubt. In fact, it's your heart, listen to me carefully, it's your heart that separates praying from talking, it's your heart that separates worship from singing. You can just sing songs. It doesn't matter if they're Christian or not, you can just sing songs. There's a lot of good Christian music out there, by the way. They're not all worship songs, they just sing about God or they sing about something nice. But worship has got to do engaging your heart. Your motive, your intention, that's that. Oh, nobody can actually, it's kind of a misnomer. Nobody can lead you into worship, they can inspire you, and you can choose to enter into worship or not. But it's up to you in your heart. That's why I'm so grateful for our worship team because we've been they've been we've been working, it's all got to do with the heart. You can have a you can have a great bunch of professional musicians. We could go and hire a bunch of musicians and they can play exactly the same songs. And it'll just be playing songs. You, on the other hand, could just sing the songs. In fact, I've said this before. I said, I don't kind of like having words on screens. You know why? Because we never learn the words. In the old days, 
when there were still the projectors, the overhead projectors. <laughs> you know what I mean by the overhead projectors, right? <laughs> Sometimes, you, you know, you closed your eyes and you actually learned the words. You got to him to connect with God. And I st- I, we went through a stage in the, word, in the body of Christ where everything was so wordy and there were 10,000 verses, verses of the song. And, and it was like, you don't get time to connect with God. It's too fast. It's too quick. It's, it's not singing personally to him. It's not connecting with your heart. You're not getting to say, ah, oh, Jesus. Jesus, I'm so grateful. Thank you for saving there's a big difference than just singing songs. Singing songs is pointless. As I said, there's a difference between talking. It's the same thing in praying. You see, so heart is a very, is a very important topic, right? But it says over here, he says that your heart has eyes. <laughs> your heart has eyes. Your heart has ears. That's why we incline our hearts to hear what he's saying. That the eyes, this is the prayer, the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Enlightened. That's an interesting word. Fotizo, another Greek word. Fotizo. To properly enlighten, to illumine, to render evidence, to bring to light. The highs of your heart can be filled with light. Man, I've got something cooking inside of me because Jesus talks about in John 1, and we, we, we won't go there today, but he says, in him was life, and his life was the light of men. There's a lot. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Life. But life, his life brings light. And that's a whole another time we can get to that. But. But it says that your eyes can be, your eyes of your heart can be filled, illuminated with light in the what? In the knowledge of Him, right? And then you can know this hope and this glorious calling in His inheritance and all of these things that are the unseen. The unseen things. But we have to learn to discern and see with our heart. Does that make sense? Are you hearing what the Spirit of God is saying? Come on. Amen. You know, there's some, there's some powerful things in the story. Of, you, you know the story of David and Goliath. It's such a powerful story. But in, in, uh, that's all in 1 Samuel 17. And, and there's this, man, this kid, man, and he was a kid at the time of the story. What, what a rich, I think, worshiper. Worshiping has got something so powerful. We know he was a worshiper, he spent time with God out there, and I'm sure that's what made him so good with a sling, right? Because he probably, like any kid, would play with guns, or so I certainly did. Um, he had a sling, and in uh, any case, he was a worshiper. But I love this, you know, the story of, of, of it. David goes down, he's not even old enough to join the army, so he's sent down to his brothers, and Goliath, a Philistine giant, I mean, he's, and he's their champion, is taunting Israel. And so, and David, and David hears it while he's visiting there. Um, and I love what David says to the men. It says that in verse 26 of 1 Samuel 17, it says, And David said to the men who stood by him, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine, Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And then it says in verse 31, when the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul, and and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go out and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, but you're not able to go against fight against him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. He's had practice. He's been an MMA fighter since he was a kid. And David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when he came, a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock. And I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, plural. And this uncircumcised, uncircumcised Philistine, Philistine shall be one of them. He has defied the armies of the living God. 
And David said, The Lord who has delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And David sa- and Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. And then it says that then in verse 38, that he clothes him with his armor, all this heavy, chunky armor. And then David says to Saul in verse um, somewhere 39 or so, I cannot go with these because I've not tested them. So he took off all the stuff, took his, ha- took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch, sling in his hand and approaches the Philistine. And the Philistine moved forward to camp near David and with his shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked at David and disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. He was like, what? And the Philistine was actually insulted, totally insulted. He says, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and, and to the beasts of the field. And David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, fleshly things. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, and that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that, this, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with a sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord, and He will give you into our hand. Man, so much richness in this, right? It's interesting because when we're fleshly Christians, we see the sword and the javelins. We see presidents. We see nuclear weapons. Those are just stuff in the flesh. You see, we can fear a knife or a gun, or we can fear a person who wields it. But David's eyes weren't looking on these things. His eyes were seeing something different. Remember, he was a kid still, not even qualified to go to the army. And yet, you know, it's funny how we extrapolate Scripture because, you know, I don't know how many have heard he picked up five stones. Why did he pick up five stones? In case he missed, no, one is for each of the giants of the... It's like, listen, guys, you don't know that. Nobody's ever said that. I mean, we love, we love taking Scripture and running with a nice little story, but, whoa, don't go that far. Don't make Scripture say what it doesn't say. He picked up five stones. He only needed one. That's all it is. Don't worry about it. Are, it is interesting to see that he was from Gath, and there were other giants of Gath and descended from the giants. You know, they've actually found giant skeletons. Even in America, you can go and Google the skeletons. They can see pictures of them. But it says that, that, these, um, that, that he picks up these stones, and, and I love this because he says, you, you're trusting in that. He says, but I come, at you. I come to you in the name of the Lord. Yeah. And, and there's a big clue right in the beginning, back in verse 26, he, when uh, David says this, he says this, For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of, the, of God, of the living God? I love that. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? If we, when we understand that Circumcision was a sign of covenant. He said, I know I'm in covenant because I know the God of Israel. I'm in covenant with the God of Israel. I understand that God has a covenant with Israel. But this giant, he is uncircumcised. He does not have a covenant with the God, the creator of heaven and earth. So it's not just he's saying, oh, you just happen to have a foreskin or you don't. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about whether he is in covenant with God. He knew his covenant. Even though it was an older covenant. Guess what? We have a new covenant. On better promises. But you see, if we don't even know that we're in covenant, then we've got nothing to compare giants with. We've got nothing to compare. We see, David was looking with true vision. He wasn't looking at the sword and the javelin and the armor and the armor bearer and blah, 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 blah. He saw covenant. He saw the armies of the living God. 
Was God there present? No. You know, we tend to think that these Old Testament guys always saw God. They didn't. They had very few encounters with God. They needed as much faith as you and I did. That's why they mention in Hebrews chapter 11. They didn't see God, and some of them had encounters with God. A lot of them didn't. They knew God because they got to know Him through Scripture. Just like we are today. That's what Jesus said to James, remember? I mean, sorry, when uh, Thomas, sorry, he said, blessed are you because you've seen, but blessed, uh, sorry, you're, you're blessed now because you see, he says, but blessed are those who believe and who have not seen. You see, we've got to get past this physical world of looking at the things that are seen, and we've got to learn to look at the things that are unseen. And one of those things is covenant. We have got to understand our covenant. And, and you know, the, 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 I'll, I'll go through this quickly, but, but one of the greatest... Um, one of the greatest things, I mean, one of the greatest stories I enjoy, it's in Luke 9 and Mark 6 is the, the breaking of bread, right? The, sorry, breaking of bread. The five loaves and two fish story, 5,000 people. And basically, it says this, um, I'm just going to come down. They, you, you know the story, uh, five loaves and two fish, looks up to heaven. It says in verse 16 of Luke 9, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up, 12 boat baskets of broken pieces. Now, the word looked up, and many of you know this, but is one of those Greek words again. It's anablepo. Blepo, except it's got the word ana in front of it. Blepo, to see things, uh, to perceive things. It says that Jesus took those five loaves and two fish, and he anablepoed. He looked up to heaven. That's not ophthalmos, seeing it. It's not just the ability to see, but he saw again. He recovered his sight. Jesus looked up. Instead of trying to see, he's hearing, I've got five loaves and two fish. He's like, okay, this is this way. I've got to see things differently. So he looked up and he recovered his sight. Let me look again at what the kingdom has. Kingdom isn't, kingdom isn't determined by these. Kingdom resources are the kingdom of heaven. He had to see again, ah, yes, thank you, Father. I need to remember that. And that vision, that way of looking at things changes things in the present. Looking again, getting vision again, and a recovery of lost sight. If you go and look that up in your Blue Letter Bible, Go and look up the word anablepo in those passages. It's in Mark 6 as well. To recover lost sight. You see, if you look at the things that are temporary, you are looking with the wrong eyes. If you're relying on things, the Bible actually has got a lot to say on that. You can, you can develop armies and you can, but so many times. If you rely, and you see it was, they were rebuked in the Old Testament. If you are relying on your soldiers... If you are relying on the arm of the flesh, if you are relying on horses and chariots, or are you relying on your God? The battle is the Lord's. Yeah. Understanding, this is, this, is, this is the milk of the kingdom. So where, what is our true vision? What are we looking at? What are we contemplating? Remember, as I said earlier, our heart has eyes. You direct your eyes. We become what we see. Know this, when he appears, it says in 1 John 3, 2, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Jesus did this all the time. In John 5, 19, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, the son does likewise. Did Jesus see God in the flesh with his physical eyes? No. He knew him. 
he saw him. Amen. I think I'm going to end there for now, but let's just close our eyes a second. Minute here. Be aware right now that you have a belief system. Each of us do. Your belief system has been formed in your heart by many things. Pain, hurt, experiences, traditions. You carry within your heart opinions. All of these things color the world that you see. They color the way you read scripture. What do you choose, because it is your choice, what do you choose to look at? What vision will you adopt? Will you choose to see things in His way? Or will you choose to look at your opinions? Will you hold on to, to your tradition? How you see your resources, health, ministry, marriage, family. How you see them makes all the difference. Just like Jesus looked at that bread and those fish. He could see five loaves and two fish or you can choose to see them with the eyes of your heart. What has God said about them? Hebrews 10.23 says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. He who promised is faithful. You and I, we have all been given promises, and they are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. He who promised is faithful. Determine right now who you will be looking to. Will you hear his promises? Will you receive his promises? Because this is just a journey. It's a journey of enlightenment, but enlightenment from the scripture. He loves you more than you'll ever know. It's so important. I want to just finish this and say this. It's so important to always know that you are loved unconditionally because it's in this environment of unconditional love that we can deal with beautiful truth. God's intention for you is love. His intention for you is abundant life. And when you know that and are persuaded of that, you're ready you are ready and willing to accept everything He has for you because that is His ultimate intention for you, love and life. So, Father, we receive that right now in the name of Jesus. If you're online or in here in this room right now and you have not ever received Jesus as Lord and said, Lord, I've never even trusted you. I can't call you Lord because how can I trust what you'll tell me? I've always believed that you will create pain or give sickness or teach me lessons or bring destruction. But I trust you. I choose to see things the way you see things. I choose to recover my sight, to see things your way. And Holy Spirit, I invite you right now to show me. I open my heart to be teachable, to learn, to see the things that you did. That's why you have said, come to me, all you who labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke, my teaching upon you and learn, because I am humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Thank you, Jesus. We receive that. We receive you. We embrace you. We choose to walk with you, this road with you. In Jesus' name, Lord, we're just so grateful. Thank you for your great love for us. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you minister your love in a tangible way right now to those who are hurting, those that have been disappointed, those who have felt unloved or rejected by you because that's all they've experienced in religion, 
maybe in a parent or in a teacher, whatever, thank you that you minister healing and wholeness to them right now. In Jesus' name. If you're one of those people this morning that is, has hurt, please don't leave without speaking to one of our prayer ministers up front here. Our prayer ministers want to minister to you. If you have physical pain in your body right now, let me tell you, let it go. You have the right to let it go. Let it go. Let it go. And you can come receive that if you're willing because you hear about this covenant. That is the truth. Recover your sign. Amen. Let's see things as he sees things, the ways things really are. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together. Father, we're so grateful. We, we, we embrace these things. Lord, thank, make us aware of those hurting around us. Please, if you're hurting right now, won't you raise your hand? Is anybody really hurting? I'm going to have the body minister to you right now. I see a couple of hands. Won't you just glance around and see if you find a hand up there? And if there's somebody got a hand up there, I want you to lay hands on that person right now. There's a couple people with their hands up there. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord, for ministering to our body, our brothers. Amen. That's a, we've got such an awesome body. Thank you, Father. Wholeness and healing. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Let's give it a minute. Thank you, Lord. If you're online, by the way, and if you need ministry, please text to the, that word that's on your screen, and we will have one of our prayer ministers get in touch with you. We just, even now, we just trust that right where you're at, if you put your hand on your heart and just say, Lord, I need you to minister to me right now. Thank you, Lord. He is the comforter, the God of all comfort. <laughs> Isn't that good? He is the God of all comfort. That's one of his names. The God of all comfort. He will comfort. The comforter. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, amen. I believe we are dismissed. We love you guys. Thank you for being aware of the body around you. Anything else? We're good? Okay. No, you, we are dismissed, guys. Have a great rest of your week. So appreciate you.